Amen. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good to see all of you. So to the call to follow Jesus is a call to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus would do if he were you. And that's important. We're going to speak about uh, do as I do, but we recognize that we're all different. Okay, we all have different gifts, skills. We all are in different places, life phases. Um, so it means different things for different people. But I'm going to focus on something today that we should all do. Uh, I'm going to talk about the habits and the disciplines that Jesus did to equip him for ministry. And those are things that we should all be aware of and practice to become, to become like Jesus. You know, it's true that a lot of followers of Jesus get stuck in their spiritual journey. There is a gap between what they are learning about Jesus and the lives that they lead. Um, and often, the longer we are followers of Jesus, the wider that gap can become. Um, that's what I've experienced even in my own life. At times, I have felt that what I'm learning about Jesus stays in my head. Okay, It doesn't always convict me the way it should, and it doesn't result in me changing and living differently and you know every time we you know we get together every time we look into the bible we should pray that it hits our head our heart and our hands and today especially you know i pray that uh, you'll understand you know what i'm going to teach you but i also really pray that there'll be a deep conviction you know that the spirit will tell you and point things out to you and me uh, that we need to change or to improve to become like Jesus and to live as, as Jesus lived. Alright, so today I'm going to speak about what Jesus did. As I said, focusing on the habits and the disciplines that he practiced to equip us for ministry. Um, but opening question, what words come to mind when you think of the character of Jesus? Jesus was, what words come to mind? Loving, yeah, Jesus was loving. Jesus was compassionate, a whole cluster of things around his love and compassion, yeah? Anything else Jesus was? Someone said obedient, I think. Or disciplined, yeah, Jesus was certainly disciplined. He was obedient to the Father, he was? Uh, sacrificial, yeah, all to do with his love. One more, goal-oriented, okay, he was focused on, on the mission. Okay, all of these things. I'm going to suggest that there are three main qualities of Jesus that are also closely related. Jesus was loving. He loved the Father deeply and he loved people. Jesus was the perfect embodiment of the greatest commandment, you know, to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Secondly, he lived in complete obedience to the Father. Jesus was obedient. He himself said that he did only what the Father told him to do. And then thirdly, Jesus was completely faithful. Um, you know, he trusted the Father completely, and he could also be trusted to do what he said he would do. Um, in Hebrews 3, you know, in, during the midweeks, we were working through the book of Hebrew. You might remember this, that Jesus was compared to, to Moses, that Jesus is better and greater than even Moses, which, is, which the audience of Hebrews needed to hear. And we read there that Moses was faithful, but Jesus is even more faithful. That was a big deal. So Jesus is loving, he is obedient, he is faithful. Wouldn't you like to grow in all of those areas? 
to become more loving, to become more obedient to God and to be more faithful. Let me ask you another question. Do you think that, okay, we know that Jesus was fully God and fully human. So do you think that, you know, from the moment that Jesus was born, that he was perfectly loving, perfectly obedient, and perfectly faithful? No. Do you think that Jesus needed to develop these qualities? Yeah, yeah that's, the, that's the full humanness of Jesus, right? Even though he was God, he needed to, to grow in certain areas because he was fully human. We read, for example, in Luke 2, verse 52, and I'm not going to read all, all the scriptures, so you might want to write them down. In Luke 2, verse 52, we read that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and people. Jesus grew in wisdom, right? And wisdom in the Bible is closely linked to listening to God and doing God's will. True wisdom is based on understanding God's will and choosing to do it appropriately in the situation. Okay, he grew in stature, which can also be interpreted as age. He simply grew up like a normal boy would, right? He was fully human. He had to go through the growing pains and the periods of adolescence and what have you. But then he also grew in favor. The Greek word for, for favor, charis, uh, also means grace. You know, he grew in grace. So Jesus had to, had to grow. He had to um, develop his character. We know that Jesus never sinned, okay? Uh, but we also read in Hebrews 5 verse 8 that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. It doesn't mean that he was ever disobedient, but he had to grow in obedience as the suffering and the persecution increased. And, you know, the ultimate picture of Jesus being amazingly, completely obedient, was in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus prayed to God, please take this cup away from me. Right? He knew the suffering that he would undergo, and he learned obedience through that. Okay, so he grew. You can imagine like, you know, Jesus growing in all of these qualities. He wasn't born perfect in wisdom or stature or in obedience or in having God's grace and favor. He, he developed these qualities. And to be a follower of Jesus, to be with him, to become like him, and to do as he did. Um, we need to imitate Jesus in the how he changed. And that's what we're going to focus on today. You know, I, I thought of an illustration and... Um, okay, let me just ask the question first. If you wanted to compete in an Ironman race, right, would you just read about it, you know, go online to see what what the race involves and how people train. And you knew everything about Iron Man. And then you signed up to do the race and you thought, I'm ready. <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. Okay. You got to train. Um, now, I, I completed a couple of Iron Man races. And it's a great example to me because I'm a very practical guy and I understand training and, and practice and, and habits. Not that I always get them right. But. Um, in my sort of mid-40s, um, I knew a couple of people who'd done triathlons and Ironman, and I, I wished to do one. Um, but I didn't really make the time or understand what was involved until Rod Fick came to Port Elizabeth about 20 years ago. Rod led the church for, for seven years. 
And he was actually a pro triathlete in the States before going full-time into the ministry and serving in Africa in different ways. So he and I became best friends, and um, he introduced me to triathlons and the Ironman, and we, com- we completed an Ironman together in 2007. Now, I didn't just spend time speaking to Rod about the race. I didn't just listen to his stories and listen to how he trained for Ironman and how you should train for Ironman. No, I trained with Rod. You know, he taught me. For example, although I was a swimmer at school, he taught me that swimming long distance requires a different technique to swimming short distances, basic things like that. So he taught me the technique of of swimming to be able to swim 3.8 kilometers in the sea and then to get on a bike and to ride 180 kilometers and then to run a marathon. I needed to know technique and, and to get a proper training regime and discipline in place. Now, Rod helped me with swimming. He helped me with my bike setup. He would ride with me and critique my, my style of riding and whether I was in the wrong gear or right gear. Now, that's how I learned. You know, I learned from Rod. I need to de- needed to develop a proper nutritional strategy. When you're exercising for 13, 14, 15 hours, long day in the office, you've got to eat properly, right? I didn't even know that. You know, so Rod helped me with that. And I spent time with Rod. I developed his training practices and habits. And over time, I actually became more like Rod. It affected my character, but I'm talking about Iron Man mainly. I became more like Rod as an athlete because I listened to him, I trained with him, I was obedient in a sense to what he, well, I was obedient. I listened to what he told me to do. You know, when I was away on business, which was quite often, I would run, I would get to a gym and I would swim. And I always imagined Rod being with me. And I would ask myself, how, how, would, how would Rod run this hill? We just spend so much time together. You want to be an athlete, a triathlete, an Ironman, be with an Ironman. Learn from an Ironman. Become like an Ironman in his disciplines and his, and his practice and his techniques. And you will then do what an Ironman does. You know, you will be able to finish an Ironman. And as I say, the end result was that Rod and I finished the Ironman together in 2007. And we even did pretty well in our age group. Didn't win it, but we finished strong. Now, you know, it was a silly question I asked you in the beginning about, would you just enter an Ironman event without training? That you get all the head knowledge about what it takes to complete an Ironman race, but then you don't actually do anything else. No, it's silly, right? It's just as silly expecting to do what Jesus did without training as Jesus did. To equip himself and to prepare himself for his mission and his purpose. We don't get very far just reading about Jesus and the impact that he had and then trying to imitate him and live his life without being taught and trained by him. Okay. There is no silver bullet to living as Jesus lived and achieving the impact he had. It takes training. It takes discipline. It takes practice. So we need to develop the habits that Jesus developed. You know, to live and to grow in these qualities we've been speaking about. Uh, We need to do what Jesus did in terms of his practice to have the kind of impact that he had. And this is something that we cannot short-circuit. You know, we cannot avoid, we, could, we shouldn't want to avoid this, but we cannot just skip over all this stuff. You know, I've learned about Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, let me go out and do what Jesus did. 
It's not sustainable. You know, we see that over and over again. We need to get to a much deeper level of practicing as Jesus practiced and trained as Jesus trained. And the way that he taught his disciples and wants to teach us to do the same. So as you listen to this lesson today and as you learn some new things, no doubt, as I always do when I prepare my sermons, I really encourage you to invite God's Spirit to hit the heart. Okay. I really pray, church, that whenever we get together, that we allow the message to hit our heads, our hearts, and call us to an action, hands. And I think especially today, because we're going to cover quite a lot, and we're not going to go into much detail. We get, there's going to be a time in future when we dig into these disciplines and habits in a lot more detail. But I just pray that you will ask God, and God will reveal to you just one or two things that really convict you, and things that you want to change coming out of today. Amen. And during the communion break, I just want to mention, I also want to provide an opportunity just for you to speak to someone. You know, share what you've, you've learned and what God has convicted you, you know, to change. And just share five or ten minutes what you believe God wants you to really remember, be encouraged by, be challenged by, uh, or to change. You know, so what did Jesus do? You know, what habits did he cultivate? How did Jesus practice to grow in, in love and obedience and faithfulness and all the other qualities you guys mentioned? What did Jesus do to equip him for his purpose and his mission? You know, to, to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God. And that's what we're going to look at today. And I'm going to do it by looking at one passage of scripture, a slightly extended passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 3. Please um, open your Bibles. Or, I love what Nolene has been doing. Now, or, um, if, you, if you don't want to read along, then I encourage you just to close your eyes while I read and picture it and really concentrate um, on, on these words. Amen? So I'm going to start in Matthew chapter 3 from verse 16 to 17. I just want to point out that this happens, and you'll see why I mention this later. This happens shortly after Jesus and his family have returned to Israel from Egypt. Uh, King Herod had heard about Jesus and wanted to meet him, but it was to trick people to bring Jesus to him in order to kill him. Okay, King Herod was threatened. Um, Jesus' family was warned about this, so they fled to Egypt. So shortly after returning from Egypt, uh, this is what happens. I will read what I say from verse 16 to 17. This, this refers to the baptism of Jesus. John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the river Jordan. Verse 16, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, after this, you know, Jesus was sent into the desert to be tempted. We're going to read that. And then after that temptation and Jesus passing the test, he only then started his ministry. Okay, so Jesus was baptized. You'll notice that he's affirmed by God. Now, God publicly, a voice that people heard, he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, why was Jesus baptized, you might ask. That's a, a whole another topic. Jesus wasn't 
sinful, so he didn't need to be baptized for the forgiveness of sin. But at his baptism, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see that in the Bible. You know, we, are in, we need to be baptized to be a follower of Jesus, to have our sins forgiven, and to be filled with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, to equip us you know, for ministry, and equip us to become like Jesus. Um, so let me continue reading now in chapter 4. I'll read the, from verse 1 to 11, and I'm going to loop back and dig in a little bit. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, unless you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. You know, so after his baptism, we read here that Jesus was led into the, um, into the wilderness by God's Spirit uh, to be tempted by Satan. And we read that Jesus did not give in to the temptation. Now I want to provide a little bit of context just before we get into what we learn about the disciplines of Jesus in this passage. Um, now do you see clear echoes of the Exodus in this passage? And I'm going to just point this out to you. Now, Israel, Moses led Israel out of Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea. That's a picture of baptism. With God declaring then that, he said, Israel is my firstborn son. Read about this in the early chapters of Exodus. Then followed how many years of wandering in the desert? Forty years. Jesus, 40 days. Okay, this should remind us of the exodus and in the desert Israel grumbled for bread they continually put God to the test and they flirted with idolatry now Jesus coming out of Egypt having been baptized had been affirmed as by God you are my son he's then sent into the wilderness for 40 days and he's tempted by Satan and the three temptations you know, that Satan puts before him concern bread, right? Turn these stones into bread, right? You, if you're the son of God, turn the stones into bread. And then the second temptation was about testing God. He said, come on, throw yourself off the temple. I mean, God's going to send his angels and he's going to catch you. And then thirdly, the third temptation is about idolatry. Satan says, worship me. And I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Isn't the Bible amazing? 
You know, this is a picture of Exodus. This is a new Exodus. So that's just the backdrop. It's always good to read the Bible with context and understand what, you know, what God wants to tell us through this scripture. Okay, before we get into details, that was just, just the background. Um, but importantly, where Israel failed miserably, Jesus succeeded. He did not give in to temptation the way Israel did. He did not sin. And in so doing, Jesus proved that he is the true Israel. Jesus is the true Son of God. Jesus is the true family of God. And we enter into God's family through the life of Jesus. And it's interesting to note how Jesus responded to the devil. How, how did Jesus respond to the devil's temptations? With the word. He quoted, he quoted scripture. He didn't attempt to argue with, with the devil. Um, Instead, he quoted scripture. And now I was thinking about this. Um, often, arguing with temptation is a way with playing with an idea until it becomes too attractive to resist. Think about that. You know what I'm saying? If Satan tempts you with something and you picture it and, and you imagine it and you argue with him, you are, we allow ourselves to be drawn into that. Jesus didn't go there, he just quoted scripture. He says, nope, this is what the word says. Okay? And I said, there we, we are starting to get a sense of, of the habits and the practices and the way in which Jesus grew and the way in which Jesus didn't get distracted you know, from, his, from his purpose. How do you think Jesus was able to quote scripture so appropriately and so accurately when tempted? Do you think he kind of had his Bible with him? Oh, wait, Satan, I've just got to check where the scripture is here. <laughs> Probably not, right? I mean, Jesus had access to scrolls, but I doubt whether he was carrying all of his scrolls with him into the, the desert, into the wilderness. So how do you think Jesus was able to just quote scripture like that? Yeah. He memorized. He knew his scriptures. Now, this happened when Jesus was about 30 years old. And Jesus was brought up um, in Jewish culture, his father, we read early on in Matthew that he, was, um, he, was, he knew the law. His father, Joseph, well not his real father, but the father who raised him as his son, um, was a righteous man. You know, Jesus would have been brought up from a young boy to know the scriptures. It's quite possible that Jesus learned at the feet of a rabbi. That's what young boys did. Certainly by the age of 30, Jesus has studied the Bible, the scriptures that they had. He knew the scriptures. He didn't have to hesitate. Satan said something. He said, no, no, God says this. Tempted in another way. No, 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 no. God says, don't put me to the test. When he was tempted to worship Satan. No, no, no. God says, we worship only him. So Jesus obviously studied. And that's one of the disciplines that Jesus developed. He studied the Bible. He was able to remember the scriptures. Jesus used the scriptures, you know, to, to correct people. Jesus used the scriptures to, to teach and train his disciples. Jesus embodied the scriptures. He explained what it looked like. He showed people what living according to the scriptures looked like. You know, we, we read in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 to 17. Many of us will know this passage. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, 
so that the servant of God may be fully equipped for every good work. And I was thinking yeah, that I just see an echo of Jesus in this. Who was the servant of God? Who was the man of God? Now this is, the scripture is written for us, but this is how Jesus used the scriptures. He believed the scriptures were God, God-given, no doubt. Scriptures are from the Father. And he used the scriptures, and there are many examples of this, for teaching, for rebuking and correcting the religious leaders in particular, and for training in righteousness to equip his disciples and to equip himself. Okay, so study was critically important for Jesus, and study is a critically important habit for us to be in. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. To do what Jesus did, we need to study. We need to be people of the book. We need to read the scriptures and be able to recall the scriptures. Then, um, meditation. Now, Jesus also developed the habit of, of meditation. Now, in the Bible, Bible study and meditation went, went hand in hand. You know, it's, meditation is deeply rooted in the Bible and in ancient Christian practice. Meditation was part of study. As we read, for example, in Psalm 1. You guys can just listen to this again. Psalm 1, I'll read the first two verses. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. While in the wilderness, Jesus would have recalled scriptures. As a young Jewish boy, he probably had memorized large tracts of scripture. He would have memorized the law, being brought up as he was. So he, although he didn't have a, probably didn't have scrolls to read, he would have continually been reciting and remembering the scriptures. But Jesus would also have meditated on the scriptures day and night. That's, that was just the, the practice, the culture. Studying the Bible and meditating on the word went hand in hand, studying the scriptures. That's what he was brought up to know. That's what he practiced. And it yielded this, this fruit of righteousness we, we read about. Right? Study and meditation helped Jesus intimately know the Father and his will. Study and meditation helped to prepare Jesus to do what he did. If you follow Jesus and you want to have the impact, that kind of impact that Jesus did, you want to develop his character, then we need to develop his habit, his practice of studying and meditating on the word of God. Amen. Third point, prayer and fasting. You know, so we've just read that Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days fasting. Do you think this was the first time Jesus fasted? Nope. Even though I don't know if there's any other reference to Jesus fasting, but clearly brought up in the culture. The, the Jewish culture was, was a culture, it was a tradition of prayer and fasting. He would have fasted. And I'm not, I don't know if he would have fasted for 40 days, but there would have been extended fasts. Okay, so this, this was difficult for Jesus, but believe me, he had practiced. He knew about prayer and fasting. I want to hold up Nolene and Volma. She's not here. And look, there are probably others of you as well. Amen. Sorry if I don't mention you by name. But Nolene and Volma are really great examples of, of fasting, prayer and fasting. 
Nolene puts me to shame. You know, she can fast for seven days, which probably even ten days. You know, I'm doing what Jesus says shouldn't do. He told his he told his disciples, "When you fast, don't look all serious and disap- you know, upset and oh, I'm fasting." He said, "Wash your hair, clean your face, be happy and cheerful, so nobody knows you're fasting." I don't know if Jesus will be happy with me, but amen. I'm saying it, not Nolene. Okay, Nolene fasts, right? And she's able to fast for long periods of time. And when Nolene fasts, she prays and she's in the scriptures. That's the point of fasting. Okay. Now, Jesus, Jesus would have fasted. You know, fasting was just part of the lifestyle of God's people. It, had, it has many benefits physically, mentally, and spiritually. But it mainly serves to remind us of our total dependence on God. And I just want to quote Dallas Willard here, um, who, who's written great books on spiritual disciplines and, and being formed in Christ. He writes, Through fasting, we learn by experience that God's word to us is a life substance, that it is not food alone that gives life, but also the words that proceed from the mouth of God. We've just read that, you know, in Matthew 4, verse 4. That's what Jesus said. He goes on to write, Fasting is therefore feasting, feasting on God and doing his will. You know, Jesus and his disciples would have fasted regularly. They experienced this. You know, it brought them, it connected them with God in a deep way, and it would have reminded Jesus and his disciples back then about their total dependence on God. Although they were not having food and they were feeling hungry, they would have felt sustained by God and encouraged and strengthened by God through their fasting. Um, you know, I, I've just mentioned, you know, I've, I've held up Nolene as a good example. Um, I must confess to you that I, I have not fasted the way I should. A few weeks ago, though, I, did, I went away for a time alone, solitude, and I did fast for two days. And it was amazing how easy it became. I was tempted to go for three days and four days, but I, I was happy on two. And it made such a difference, just being aware of, of God had helped me focus on God. I was very aware of his provision. Whenever you have those sort of pains of hunger, so there is benefit, church, in prayer, obviously, but fasting as well. Now, obviously, we don't have to fast every time we pray because, you know, we should pray all the time, pray continually. But especially when we have an extended time of fasting and the accompanying prayer is very, very powerful. We really connect with God. It energizes us. It enables us. It equips us. It encourages us you know, to become like Jesus and to do what Jesus did. You know, Jesus knew the power of prayer to resist temptation. He, he told his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. You know, Jesus in the wilderness when he was tempting, no, tempted, no doubt was praying. Okay? He's sharing with them. He says, watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. Nothing disrupts and gets in our way of becoming like Jesus more than giving into temptation. Do you agree with that? Just giving into sin over and over again. We need to watch and pray as Jesus did as he taught his disciples, and as, as Jesus did in the wilderness. Um, you know, Jesus, sorry, his disciples obviously witnessed, you know, the habit 
of Jesus to pray. They witnessed the power of his prayers. That's why one day, um, after watching Jesus pray, that's an important detail we read in the account in Luke. They said, after watching Jesus pray, they came up to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. They saw the effect that they had on Jesus. You know, he came out of those times of prayer with clarity of mind, with strength, with conviction. And they saw the effect that it had on his character and his focus on the mission. And just how he engaged with them. They, saw, they understood that his, his love and his obedience and his faithfulness was closely linked to his prayer life. They wanted to be like Jesus. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And then Jesus taught them the... He said, pray like this. Shortened version in Luke chapter 11. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now Jesus used this kind of prayer to connect with his Father in heaven, to learn about his will. And he stresses in, in Matthew, pray our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. How do you pray? Connect with your Father in heaven, our loving Father in heaven. And then he, he goes on to say, you know, your kingdom come, well, your kingdom come, your will be done in the Matthew account. So we pray to learn about the will of the Father we pray to get strength from the Father to do His will and to bring His kingdom, His rule and reign to earth as it is in heaven. This is how Jesus prayed. And obviously not exactly the words, but this, He certainly included this in His prayer. It was for Him to connect with His Father and to learn and listen to the Father's will and to go and do it and to proclaim the kingdom. We cannot become like Jesus. We cannot do what Jesus did unless we have a healthy, radical prayer life compared to the prayer life of most Christians. Okay? And it's a habit and a practice we can develop. And as we develop and practice and embed these habits in our own lives, we learn to love it. It's not a bind. You know, God comes alongside and he encourages us. And you know, just answering prayers is a way of... You know, God encourages us so much. If we just think every day about how did I experience God today? What did God do for me? Any prayers that God answered. Okay, so this is not a burden. Jesus did this because he loved the Father. He was motivated by, by love. And he wanted to please the Father. So Jesus practiced these disciplines of study and meditation, which go hand in hand, and prayer and fasting. And he trained his disciples to develop these habits, these disciplines, to practice his way. And he also wants us, you know, his modern day apprentices, his modern day disciples, to imitate him in, you know, how he prioritized these, these disciplines, these practices. And then finally, what we see in this um, passage in Matthew about him being tempted in the wilderness is obviously solitude. The wilderness experience of Jesus was an example, an extreme one, of another habit that he had developed. And this was the habit of solitude and closely related to that silence, just being alone. Uh, we often read how Jesus withdrew to solitary places and then he returned to his disciples absolutely clear on what they need to do. 
You know, they would be in a village and Jesus would, you know, go spend an all night, have an all night prayer. He'd come back and he'd say, come, we need to move on. His times of solitude, not being interrupted by the busyness of the crowd, allowed him to listen to God and to be directed by God. I don't think Jesus knew from day to day and week to week where he should go. He totally depended on God. And it was the times of solitude and silence that he needed to listen to the will of God and to connect with God. You know, in Luke 6, verse 12 to 13, we read, Early in his ministry, Jesus spent the whole night alone in prayer. The next day, he chose his 12 disciples. Big decision, right, to, cho- to choose your 12. By that stage, there's quite a crowd following him. He chose his 12 disciples after an extended time of solitude and silence and prayer to listen to God. You perhaps have a big decision you need to make soon. Most of us would have something in mind, maybe immediately or a few months down the line. Want to become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. Pray and fast and spend time alone. Go away for a few days if needed. If it's a big decision, surely you're willing, we're willing to invest a day or two or three, right? Or have you ever have you prayed through the night recently? You know, to get clarity on what you should do in future. Do what Jesus did. Um, as Dallas Willard again puts it, he says, Solitude frees us. The normal course of day-to-day human interactions locks us into patterns of feeling, thought, and action that are geared to a world set against God. Nothing but solitude can allow the development of a freedom from the ingrained behaviors and habits that hinder our growth and our integration into God's way of doing things. Okay, solitude is one of those disciplines that um, I, think, I think has been underestimated. Uh, but people with experience and the Bible teachers, they put solitude right up there as one of the most important disciplines, especially considering, considering the craziness and busyness of the world. We need to step out of, out of the world and its busyness and its craziness. And we need to deliberately find opportunities to be silent and alone with God. And to build into that prayer and fasting. That's what Jesus did. Amen. When we become like Jesus and we want to do what Jesus did, then let's adopt and embrace the habits. Let's practice the way Jesus practiced. Let Jesus give us the training program. Right? Let Jesus teach us how he was able to do God's will always, how he was, became perfectly loving, how he, how he was the most faithful man who ever lived. We can't leapfrog, we can't jump there. We need to practice and learn the habits that he had. Small habits, small things, big difference. Still remember that series. My brothers here talked, right? Little habits. You start small, you develop them. They become just part of your normal routine. That's what Jesus did. And we become like him and we do what he did. You know, there's so much more to say about each of these habits, um, each of these disciplines, each of these practices, all the same thing, you know, which Jesus developed to, to be perfected, you know, to grow in his love and obedience to the Father and to grow in wisdom and, and favor and in grace with God and man. And today I've just focused on you know, a few disciplines which Jesus practiced mainly alone or in small groups. 
He also practiced and developed other habits that were communal in nature, which are as important. But we're not going to get to that today. We're going to talk about that um, in future, right? So I'll repeat again. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. We need to adopt and develop his habits of study and meditation, prayer and fasting, and solitude and silence. Yeah, and I pray, um, as I mentioned up front, that, you know, today you have, I pray that we have not only listened and learned something, but I pray today that we've been convicted. And if you feel you haven't been convicted, pray about it when you get home. This is critically important church. I'm pleased that I'm, I'm growing in this. I'm, I've got a lot to learn still. Um, but as I, as I am learning these practices and habits and doing them more naturally, I'm definitely, definitely experiencing a difference. It works. It works because Jesus did it and Jesus teaches us to do it. Now, so I pray that um, God has spoken to you through the word this morning. And I pray that not only have you understood what I've said, what God has used me to say, but that you're starting to get convicted about changing some of your habits and adopting these habits of Jesus, and that God is putting in your, your heart just a, a vision to accelerate your growth, you know, that you become more like Jesus, and that you're equipped to do what Jesus did. Amen.